Everybody and welcome back to Mark. That's Mark and Sarah talk about songs. I'm your co-host Sarah D. Bunting, and I am here again. Thank goodness with Mark Blankenship. How are you, Mark? Hello. Still alive. Still Yay! alive. Hey, uh, tried so old much stretch, for, tried to um, get me, but it didn't succeed. Yes, John Ramos very ably assisted me on Jastas, but it is very nice to have the original lineup uh, back in place. So, without further ado, Mark has brought us our latest song for episode 33, uh, Beyonce's Countdown. Mark, tell us about the song and why we are talking about it today. Yes, well, before we do get to that, I do want to add a little something to the conversation about Till Tuesday and Uh, Carrie that you and John had. Uh, And I do also thank John for being such an able uh, pinch hitter last week. And I just wanted to say that I did, in fact, at one point, quote unquote, permanently borrow a casingle <laughs> from a friend of mine. It was my friend Nita's casingle of the studio version of Sarah McLachlan's I Will Remember You, which was released in conjunction with the movie The Brothers McMullen. So this was before the live <laughs> version came out that was a big hit. And this was before, really, she'd even had her little affair breakthrough. But, you know, she was on the up and up, Sarah McLachlan. And uh, I borrowed that single and I still have it to this day. So Nita, if you are listening, which is unlikely because now you work at a university in Pakistan, I want you to know I still have it. I'm still guarding it for you. It's just a, it's just on loan. You can have it back whenever you want. Um, um, and I am glad to hear, like, I kept all my singles because I thought, I don't know what I thought, maybe the Smithsonian's single wing <laughs> might want my copy of Madonna's... Um, Oh, which Madonna did I have? This used uh, to be my playground? Because I had no, that one. No, no. Oh, damn. I think Rescue I did me. have that one. Not Rescue one Me. Uh, causing a Commotion. Oh, sure. Yeah. Which I believe was a B-side of Who's That Girl? Is that right? Well, it was started out that way, and then it was released as a single on its own and reached number two. So it started as the B-side to Who's That Girl, then became its own single. As well it should. I love that track. Uh, um, speaking of tracks too. we love, Getting Back to Bay. Oh, yes. So uh, we've never talked about Beyonce before on the podcast, or at least not made her the focus of an episode. And I am not someone who belongs to any sort of hive or a cult or <laughs> thrill kill purge five Beyonce anarchy sect. I do not think that everything that she does is perfect. In fact, only... Lemonade, her most recent album, is to me a great album from start to finish. But I do think on every Beyonce album, there are at least one or two songs that get me hype. And that's with a capital H and a Y that sort of diphthongs down into a U. I'm sure you understand. But for me, particularly, I've wanted to talk about the song Countdown. I I wanted to talk about it on the podcast years ago before we even had had the idea of a podcast. That's how long (laughs) I've wanted to talk about this song. Um, And before we really get into the nitty gritty of why, I'd like us to just go ahead and listen to this sample of Beyonce's Countdown, which is from her album Four, which was her fourth album. Okay, here we go. Okay. 
dedicated to the one I love. Yeah. Sarah, for me, there are not that many pop songs in the world that I have heard that I felt like I needed to hear more than once before I understood what the fuck was happening. But Countdown to Me is a song that I think I needed to hear three or four times before I really grasped the structure of the song because there is just so much happening. There's like 96 discrete elements of this song. And in fact, the clip I played, despite being long, doesn't even include the actual countdown where she samples uh, the song Ah Ah by Boys to Men and their countdown from 10 to 1. I didn't even get to the countdown in Countdown. But I just, I, I, to this day, my mind is boggled by the sheer amount of stuff that is happening in this song, and yet somehow it manages to all cohere into this driving, super energetic ode to getting all up in the kitchen in your heels, dinner time, okay, sure. And so there's just something about this song that makes me so happy because it's so wild and so barely contained, and yet it hangs together so well. And it's also just got such a great propulsive energy and there's something about the arrival of the horns in certain places, the skittering drums in certain places, Beyonce's just hollering out in certain places, that even as I'm sitting here, I'm recording this from my bed, y'all, and I still am getting hyped because this song just gets me so pumped. And I feel like that when this song was released, the world was perhaps not ready for it. I inexplicably to me did not even make the top 40 on the Billboard Hot 100. I feel like if this song had come out after the albums Beyonce and Lemonade, when we were more used to Beyonce being a bit more uh, sonically adventurous, we might have embraced this song as a nation and sent it to the top of the charts where it rightly belonged. But we did not. But I think of this now as being a harbinger for the more sonically experimental stuff that Beyonce would drop later. But I also think that this is a great look back at the midpoint of her career when she was also still capable of having joy. Beyonce doesn't really have joy anymore. She has statements <laughs> and rage, but she doesn't really have joy. And to me here, she just has joy. And finally, she has the line, all up under him like it's cold winter time. And girl, if you have not gotten up under your man like he was the bearskin rug in front of a fireplace and he was melting the marshmallow of your heart, then I pray for you that you will have that someday because she wrapped it up for me, winter time. There is my increasingly incoherent preacher-like ode <laughs> to Countdown. Now, Sarah, we, I should tell the listeners at home, did have a moment to I am about this song earlier today. And I know that you may not 
feel my passion, but I want you to know that my passion for you will never diminish, no matter what you think of this song. I take oh, it to you. You are the little tiny marshmallows on the cocoa <laughs> of my life. <laughs> That's right, folks. It's getting weird up in here. Uh, Mark and Sarah talk about marshmallows. Um, here is my thing with Beyonce generally. And I'm yes. glad you mentioned that of late, at least, she has not seemed to have joy because <laughs> there is something about her like, I listened to this song one and a half times and like bailed on it halfway through. And then after our I Am conversation, I went back and listened to it another time or two to try to sort of like settle into it. Mm. That it's like, sometimes you're like, well, this isn't, this groove isn't for me, but sometimes you have to just like, like let the groove decide what's going to be for you. (laughs) Sure. This is not for me. And here's why. Beyonce generally um, is difficult for me to connect to. And mm. I, I hate that this is true. I, I feel like I'm really missing out on a whole segment of the cultural conversation and of cultural joy of music consumers and cultural consumers who love her and make memes about her and like are part of sects devoted to her not that you are but yeah that does exist but they they exist yes but i feel like it's not that it's insincere but i just feel like i just i don't connect with it and here's the weird thing like i in theory shouldn't quote unquote shouldn't connect as well as i do with rihanna Mm-hmm. But when I compare the two, there's just something about Rihanna that's like, that's also totally outside my frame of reference. But I love her. Mm. I would like cross the street to like rescue her from a fire. And Beyonce, <laughs> I'm kind of like, eh, because it just doesn't feel quite as real. Like, I think Beyonce has been quite famous for quite a long time. Yeah, since she was and a teenager. Sometimes it seems, and I absolutely respect that this that she's trying to do this and isn't coasting because you can never accuse her of not working hard right but it can feel a little bit like she sets herself challenges that aren't necessarily from a felt place like some of this can feel a little bit produced and Mm -hmm. like it it holds me at a distance a little bit some of that is that she you know is like gorgeous and good at everything she tries apparently. Um, but yeah, it's, it's hard to explain. Like, I don't hate the song exactly, but I was like, there's always that moment where I'm like, here's where I should connect to this, where this should like lift me up into the, oh my god, I've already lost control of the simile and I didn't even get to the noun yet, but it's <laughs> that moment where like the um, UFO like settles over you and the beam comes down onto yeah, you and yes. then you are assimilated into the hype of the song. Yes, yes. Where like you're chair dancing or like you're in the car like rolling down the window like, I don't care that it's cold and other people don't like the song. This is happening need to, to us. Exactly. As a, yes, as a stoplight community. Yeah, <laughs> yes. But uh, you know yeah. who else? Does Janet Jackson do that for you? 
Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Me too, definitely. Like, especially late 80s, Mm. like, super tight laced up, black shell toes, black jeans, dancing through a warehouse. Janet Jackson, mm-hmm. who was mm-hmm. fucking feeling every inch of herself, and as mm-hmm. well she should have. So this is this is what you're saying makes me think. There was a missing verb in that sentence, but we're going to ignore that. Yes. I actually saw Beyonce perform at the Barclay Center in Brooklyn a few years ago. And mm. the whole vibe of that concert was about her being a goddess that we had been given permission to see. And I feel like it struck me there more than ever before. And I've never not thought of this since then that Beyonce's whole thing is about being flawless. I mean, she has a song called flawless and I really feel like that her persona that she has constructed for her public is not at all about being a human being. I mean, she is someone who has totally right. She has feelings, and clearly the Lemonade album is about her, like, political and emotional connections to her blackness, among a hundred other things. It's not like she's trying to be an automaton, but she's trying – she is very much in control at all times. And I think that I can see how, eventually, it just gets kind of exhausting to try to connect to an artist who is so rarely ever going to have a hair out of place. And that shellacking of perfection has hardened in recent years so much more. Like, if you look back at yes. the Crazy in Love video, which was her first big solo single, she's wearing tennis shoes and just, like, hollering and walking around. She would never do that now. No, no, never. And, like, I get a, I get a quite a bit of pleasure from her perfectionism. But I also understand she is not an artist that gets me emotionally engaged the way that you're right. I think that uh, Rihanna on a song like We Found Love, for instance, is there's something raw and 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 like just accessible about her there that Beyonce's never going to give me. So my pleasure that I get from a Beyonce song like Countdown or like um, Hold Up on the new album or whatever, there it, it comes from the structural pleasure as more than the emotional pleasure because it really is the structure of countdown that i find so exciting and like i also really enjoy the the technical control that beyonce has on a song like love on top where she changes key like 14 times in a row and all of those things are deeply pleasurable for me but i absolutely don't think that they are pleasurable in an emotional way and if that's one of the things that you're telling me you don't feel with her i totally get it well and I don't think I necessarily need to feel that. Oh, no, no. But because like all the things that I'm saying about Beyonce, I should be clear, like there is absolutely no requirement for her as a female artist to be relatable or likable or sympathetic or whatever, like bullshit gets to gets put on female artists versus male artists who are allowed to be prickly or bulletproof or volatile or whatever in a way that women are not and we have talked about that before right uh we talked about it last week on justice uh we have talked about it many times certainly madonna's construction of a machine that fits Mm. over herself and gives every impression of being a human that can sing and dance is something that i admire greatly yes and that's such a good that's such a good point of comparison yeah 
but Madonna and but Madonna doesn't always like it's not like I listen to Madonna but because I want to have feels and certainly like it's not I have other artists that can do that for me um but yeah that there's something about this song and I also have to say like I'm I'm glad that she tries to do new stuff she I would say Beyonce is like David Lynch for me Mm. I don't mm-hmm. necessarily enjoy the experience, but I'm so glad that they exist and that they you know what push me. That's such a great way of putting it because to go back, Madonna's not afraid of a, of a hook. Madonna is not afraid, even in her Rebel Heart album, to just give you a chorus. And I yeah. feel like Beyonce is not trying to give you a chorus. And sometimes I just want a chorus. Like I don't want to work that hard. Yeah. And <laughs> It's like, yeah. again, like Mulholland Drive is such a perfect example of what I feel like you're talking about, which is, <laughs> yeah, man, this movie is fucking great. I can appreciate it up, down, and sideways, but yo, can I get like a plot? <laughs> yeah. Can, like, can am I, I going to curl like some... up with that and watch it even with commercials on cable when I'm like hung over on the couch on Sunday? Nah. Because I mean, it's, and this it's work a little bit. Exactly. And it's like, you know what? The fact of the matter is that Every, sometimes I just want a thing that I can get right away. And I admire Countdown for not for me not being able to get it right away. And I do love this song now. But yeah, you're right. If I'm in a, if I'm in a place, I'm probably not going to reach for Countdown. I'm probably going to reach for something that is more easily accessible and comforting. Just like if I'm on the couch, I'm going to watch Ghost for the 40th time. And I'm not going to feel bad about it. No, nor should you. Well... But I'm really glad that we got into, like, Beyonce's sort of um, brand, I guess. I think that – I feel like there has to be some other synonym for that when we're talking about things that are creative, but I'll figure it out offline. Um, <laughs> but it reminded me of – I don't know how much you've read of um, – oh, my God. I can't believe I'm about to do this out loud on a podcast that people are going to hear. Have you read the Aeneid of Virgil? Of course, Yes. Okay, here's my point. The Greco-Roman conception of their gods was um, people like that looked like regular people. It's not like the Judeo-Christian Yahweh who can't be contemplated by humans or they'll burn alive. Right. They they were suffused with a heavenly light, but they were just human in human form, but very big. Right. Like ten feet tall. So there are a couple of flashbacks in the Aeneid. Um, Aeneas is, of course, the son of uh, Anchises, his father, uh, a mortal, and Venus. Obviously, you know her. There are flashbacks to him visiting Anchises in his quarters and that she's, like, squished into his room because she's a god and she's right. big. She's just, like, cramped in. <laughs> like those people in the flu commercials who are, like, in a dollhouse, basically. Right, right. And Beyonce, this is Beyonce's gift to me, is that every time I see her wearing, like, basically panties and a military jacket with her flawless butt, I I think of that Mm. in ancient literature, that she was this, you know, this effulgence, this goddess, who was just, like, too big for the room, literally physically too big for the room. Right. The culture needs that, and I'm glad it exists. 
Well, you know, it's. I think you're absolutely right, and it's not unlike the idea that Queen Elizabeth I painted herself to be the white perpetual virgin. Like, yes. sometimes we as a culture, we need people that we can look to who are not presenting us with flaws, who are instead presenting with concepts, ideas, uh, archetypal experiences, and she's doing that as well as anyone. Aspiration to make you raise the game, which I think she absolutely does. So... Maybe I but actually the truth, like Beyonce more than I thought. But I think the truth is, sometimes. But that, at, at the end of the day, that's I don't necessarily always need Queen Elizabeth. Sometimes I need Homegirl down at the Globe Theater who's selling oranges, so we can go ahead and get wild. And uh-huh. I feel like it's just it's nice to have this like spectrum of pop artists at the moment who are giving us all of that. So, sure. yeah. Damn, girl. I wasn't anticipating that we would take it all this way, but I'm no, glad that we did. No, me neither. But um, I'm... for the record, we are recording this on uh, Election Day 2016. So, <laughs> Yeah, and let me tell you something. Today I cast my vote for someone who I feel like at times is a woman, uh, spoiler, that serves me a certain untouchable archetypality. Uh-huh. And then I also feel like at times that she serves me a very accessible humanity. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to vote for her. So there you go. Me too, that looking at her bulletproof hair in that last debate, but also looking at pictures of her, like, clowning around with kids yeah. in the hall, like, before campaign appearances, it's like, okay, that'll work. Exactly. She could be America's mom and dad. I'm with it. <laughs> exactly. All right, so we're with her, and we'll be back with you next week. Bye. Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Mark Blankenship and Sarah D. Bunting and edited by Sarah D. Bunting. That's me. And today's theme song was written by David Gregory Byrne. Want to request a song or buy an ad? We'd love that. Email us at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com. Hit us up on our Facebook page, mastus.podcast, or tweet us at talksongs. We'd also really love to nab a top 100 ranking on iTunes Music Podcast Chart, so if you like the show, can you please head to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and a good review? It helps our numbers, and it makes us feel really good about ourselves. That is right. So until next time, this is Mark. This is Sarah. And this this is is Mark Mark and Sarah Sarah talk talk about about songs. songs. Oh, my God. (laughs) We, We will never do it correctly. It's part of our chart. No, I felt like we did that time. Whole club's getting crazy. Every time I drop by, I'm the only thing you're playing. Mark and Sarah talk about songs. 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 Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.